Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. Well, hello, my brothers. Hello. We're back with uh, Charlie and Greg this week, kind of picking up where we left off last time. I think each of us had a few different thoughts rumbling around. Greg, I think you had the clearest rumbling thoughts, so kick us off with what you were thinking about. We'll see where we go. All right. Well, I was actually pretty excited as I began to to think about some of the things you were saying, Charlie, and um, particularly as you talked about and, 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 you know, fill in holes for me and, and you know, correct me where I'm, I'm not quite on. But uh, as you talked about what was going on for you in San Francisco, this kind of three, it sounded like a, a, a three pillars or, th- or three prongs of a, a basically a, uh, a number of or three of these kind of events or uh, I'm not sure what word to apply to them, practices maybe, that were really converging and giving you, you know, a sense of who you are, a sense of maybe belonging, a sense of, um, you know, understanding God. And, and these were the um, story, what's it called with Donald Miller again? Story. Storyline. Storyline with Donald Miller. You talked about counseling, and you talked about Bible study, and it it, it occurred to me um, a little bit later after we finished. These things always do, it seems, um, that these really are. Uh, I, I think some of the, maybe not the only, but some of the primary um, categories within which I would say that the, the the kind of the main things that we are doing or hopefully that I think we're doing, that I hope think Christians are doing, when they're approaching God and approaching life, you know, these three things together, understanding who God is, what God is, understanding who, what we are, and understanding how these two relate together. And so, you know, you've got the whole self-awareness piece that really, um, you know, I, I think counseling should be part of what everybody does. It's not just for people who have got rough backgrounds, <laughs> you know. Uh, people that, or, quote, have problems. <laughs> yeah. We all have Stop. problems. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, this, this is some crucial stuff. And so you're, you know, you, you're talking about the counseling and then you're talking about the Bible study, you know, and, and counseling can go awry. I, I've, I've seen a lot of counselors and, and some are better than others. And Bible studies, Bible studies can certainly go awry, you know. Um, and, and then, also the the piece about storyline i mean i mean that's just a big consideration within this context of who am i and who is god is who am i and who do i want to be you know where do i want to go and so when you talked about these three pieces i guess the excitement to kind of be concise is that this seems like really what is involved what it takes to have the type of self-understanding self-knowledge knowledge of god uh, you know, admitting that all these things can go awry, they can be off course in many different ways. You know, we go to Bible studies and they're not good, right? That's a phenomenon that I, at least I've experienced. Um, but I think these are the components we need in order to become fuller, richer selves, particularly in the context of being in right relationship with ourselves and right relationship with God. And so I just thought, wow, this is a great combination, this is really rare, I think. And, and I just wanted to reflect that back. So let me make sure I understand you correctly. Um, so I was talking about my specific experience. I think you're generalizing it 
to kind of more meta concepts. So what I heard you say is um, one, knowledge of God, two, knowledge of self. And then, and I didn't quite get, was there a third one there? The relationship between those two. In other and words, the relationship between the two. Between, okay. between, the end, between myself and God, God and me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was I was speaking more from my own personal context, and and I had a slightly slightly different angle. I I think I'd have to digest that a little bit to see if that fits in all cases. It 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 seems reasonable at first blush. Um, you know, I, I think the the reflection I had after we finished last time was um, I was basically telling my story, like mm-hmm. what has happened to me, and the specific activities that, that happened to coincide at that time. I've been involved in those activities. I've been involved in many Bible studies. I've talked to more than one therapist and, um, you know, been in relationships in church that, but, but they, they didn't always have the output that happened in in kind of that two year span, which felt Mm -hmm. unusual. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was just kind of reflecting and I was thinking, you know, this is, this is my story of how, God has found me where I'm at and, and the way that I process and learn, like I'm, I'm a little more of a, if I use the Myers-Briggs, I'm more of a thinker than a feeler, right? And this is, I think, one of the reasons why Libri resonated with me and why church does not, because it comes from a very emotional context. And I'm like, uh, okay, if I don't feel the emotion, does that mean God isn't there? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so I was just, I was thinking about, this is my story and how I find God and just thinking about your guys's podcast and i'm like wow you know i i wonder if you guys just did a segment like interviewing people and saying yes what what are people's stories <laughs> and how do they find god no i would have this uh, totally no yes and i was kind of thinking it could be like each person could kind of tell their quote untangling story you know what was their process of maybe untangling what they believed or didn't believe or uh to kind of play off of our name but yeah i had a similar thought Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think there is power in story. I, last night I went to an event that was around uh, anti-trafficking. So it was um, someone who had been sex trafficked and made their way out and they were telling their story. And it was horrific, horrific. But there was a, you know, and it's been years since she escaped from that environment. But the, the story was still painful enough that she was tearing up on stage telling about the intense kind of experiences that happen and how she got out. You know, th- there, there's always this like voyeuristic quality sometimes to those stories. We're like, wow, that was awful. Tell me how awful it was, you know, which, which I don't think is necessarily healthy. But the beautiful thing here was, was kind of the redemption at the end. It's not just I have all these awful things happen to me, but look, now I'm, I'm a Christian and I wasn't at that point in time. And God found me and he cared for me and, you know, she's a minister now, right? And she's going around advocating for victims of um, human trafficking or survivors of human trafficking. I forget what's the right term. So uh, yeah, it was just, it was the power, but that story, it it was gripping. And like last night I could barely sleep because it was just rehashing in my head. Mm -hmm. And and we connect, I think in a very human context with people's stories. Um, Yeah. So I was just, I was thinking that could be a really powerful thing. I think, um, it, it's it's a lot easier to relate to a story, and sometimes, you know, people just talking about, you know, theology goes. Oh, that's wonderful, and we're 
sometimes we get involved in over angels dancing on the head of the pen or, you know, political issues. And, and we, we don't get to the heart of the matter, which is what's happening in my heart. Yeah. So maybe that, back to your thing of God, us, and the relationship between the two. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate you, you saying too that that's kind of your perspective and your story. I, I, and it, it, is a, it is a kind of a, a, a meta level, uh, I guess, expression of that. But I think that that meta probably, well, that there's a good relationship. There's a necessary relationship between the kind of the individual and the meta. And I guess more so what I, my, my thought is, insofar as you're telling that story, it's very unsurprising to me um, and very, I guess, powerfully resonant with some of the components that uh, are very different and yet are part of my own story um, insofar as this is a story of, of you connecting with God because of the specific components that you have, you've sort of said, okay, during this particular time, this worked out pretty uh, better than other times. This was a particularly, uh, whether it's intense or, or, or palpable, kind of visible, discernible moment where I was connecting with God, God was connecting with me. And my response, I guess, in a nutshell is, that sounds right. That sounds right because I think the, there are certain components that go into it that without those components, we're either left too much in our heads, too much with our intuition and our feelings. We are, we are kind of un, in a certain way, you know, we're either unrelated to some of the things that are going on in this, this, this text that are talking about human life. And we're not allowing those to offer as, act as correctives. And or we're unrelated to what's going on in real life and allowing real life to correct some of these understandings that we have about this text that are informing us in terms of, you know, how we should live and what human beings are like. So there's this reciprocity. And I guess I would say that the, the three components that you noted, you know, given all the caveats I've mentioned, are pretty fundamental, it seems to me, for brokering or nurturing this type of reciprocity that would allow people, in other words, to be in a position where they've got the best chance, all things being equal, of having, you know, um, some genuine and legitimate experiences of God as themselves being genuine and legitimate people. In other words, going through these processes with counseling, going through these questions of, you know, who do I want to be? What is my story? What has it been so far? How have I narrated it? What's going on now? All those components. So that's kind of where... I wanted to go yeah. back to an earlier thing you said, though, and see what, you, what you, I have mixed feelings. So you said at one point, you know, the direction that you want to go. Mm. And a lot of my Christian experience was it wasn't about what you wanted to do. It was what God wanted you to do and what God like. So what? how do you guys sort that out in terms of, you know, you put forth this idea, Greg, of being the best, becoming the best version of ourselves. But, you know, there's this idea that some people would say, well, no, it's not up to us at all. It's up to whatever God wants to do in and through us. It's it's not what we want. And in fact, mm. because we're fallen or whatever, we want the wrong things. So what, <laughs> what are your you thoughts? Know, or have I'm, I like completely I'm, set you up? <laughs> no, no, I want to go back to here. I, I'd love to hear from your particular I mean, I, if I'm focusing too much on that 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 couple year period, Charlie, then then go elsewhere. But I would be interested to know either from that period or elsewhere how how you would kind of respond to that. So, 
I think I don't respond well when people tell me what to do, <laughs> whether it's my wife, my boss, or anyone else. You know, it's it's that independence, and and some of it is. It's funny as you get to know yourself. You're like, well, I'm easy to you know work with, and I'm very collaborative. <laughs> it's that and, other person, <laughs> and, and, and then and then you're like, no. And when someone says, oh, we don't like your idea, we're going to go do this, and we're like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know. So, so I think somewhat responding to you, John, um, I don't like people telling me what to do or what I should be, be or what I should feel. I, I can recall a very distinct, um, you know, before we went to Labrie, Robin and I were, were doing a little church hopping, church dating, speed dating, whatever you want to call it, mm. trying to find an environment that could possibly work. And, and, and leaving and going, wow, that was super toxic. Like I, I can't, yeah. I can't even sit in the same room. Yeah. And one particular experience really, um, rubbed me and, and actually Robin <laughs> the wrong way. We came into the church and the pastor gets there and he's like, okay, you may be sad and you may be, have had a hard week, but you're going to leave happy. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I won't. Screw <laughs> you. I'm not leaving happy. I'm angry coming in. I'm going to be even angry going out just because of what you said. So, so I think some of that's a very broken human part of me, which says I don't want to be, you know, um, controlled. But some of it is also the, you know, God created us to be exercised dominion and have opinions and thoughts and feelings. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think I, I'm reacting to your comment of people telling you what you should do and saying this is how you should grow or what you should feel. Mm. Um, that, that period of time that I would say was a really productive time for me to get to your question, Greg, which I think you were asking, like, you know, explore that a little bit. Sure, yeah. Um, th- there were overlapping influences. I think, you know, one of the things I didn't talk about last time, but one of the catalysts for this was actually – I would call it a really hard time in our marriage. Um, Mm. Robin, my wife, had volunteered uh, with a volunteer activity. The activity turned to consume like a lot of her time. It turned into like a seven day a week kind of volunteer effort where basically I was a single dad kind of for the month of December, uh, more or less is what it felt like. I would come home from work. She was already gone. I would, you know, turn over with the babysitter slash nanny for that period of time, which, which is not what we have typically done. Um, so it took a lot out of the relationship and, and I found like a a deep well of anger that started just bubbling over. And it was really that, that kind of turned into, I'll call a a mini crisis if you want, where, where Robin's going, we don't want to be around you because you're so angry all the time and you come home and it's like, you know, you would have been better to stay at work on this day, you know, things like that. So it was actually a really, it's hard to hear that stuff. Yeah. Well, no, that's not me. That's not who I am. That's, um, so I, I think that was kind of a wake up call to say, you know what, you you need to get some help here. And, and that kind of drove me in to like, okay, like this is not what I want. Um, and, and started kind of the therapy process. Um, and, the, the Bible study was one, I think it had already, I'm trying to remember exactly the timing. Uh, I can't remember if it had started at the same time or if I did that first. Um, I don't remember the order. I could look it up, but in my journals. But I've been in many Bible studies. Many Bible studies are completely worthless. 
(laughs) 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 Right. Like, like I, you know, my awful experience is like, Hey, you go in and there's like this, this checkbook, right. And like, okay, give the canned answer of what this is supposed to be. And like, just, it makes me want to puke because I had so much of that as a kid. Um, other people may find that very helpful. Um, I do not. Mm-hmm. Um, so this particular study was, it, you know, we really it wasn't social at all, really. <laughs> you know, they, that was probably you know the downfall is people weren't really you know intimate with the details of their life. But it was it was very um, we were reviewing the, the classics um, and. Um, very contemplative, you know, kind of going back to the desert fathers and, and just stuff that's like been in Christianity for a long time. That's kind of been thrown away as part of the Protestant tradition, which is very much focused on the new. And so I found it just very thoughtful. And, um, it was funny. I found myself resonating. Like we read some John Calvin. I'm like, I do not like Calvin. I am not a Calvinist. Right? <laughs> We've <laughs> had like, some previous discussions on that. Yes. <laughs> and I was like surprised with how, how visceral my reaction was. And, and it just, you know, Calvinism. Oh yeah, that's, that's, it's all good. Right. And then, and then I read some of it. I'm like, wow, I really do not like this. Um, and then I read some of the, the, the Jesuit stuff. And I'm like, wow, this really resonates with me. Mm. So, so that was kind of a discovery and a newness. And I love learning. So all of that was kind of feeding together. Right. While you're on that topic, I think this ties into it. So we were kind of sparring a little bit last time about spiritual disciplines and all that. I was wondering if you could say more about like what, and I'll just kind of put my baggage, I'll I'll kind of put it up front just to begin. Like, I think some of my reaction to it is the experience of it. Well, I think, I think there's a lot, there's several different angles to it. But one of the angles was it's, it's a means of trying harder and a means of like connecting with God. So if you do these things, then you'll have the connection with God, which I tried to do and I didn't found, find that they worked. Mm-hmm. And then I think the other frustration that I had was I felt like sometimes there was a sense of piety around it, you know, kind of this sense of of trying to be pious by doing it or the people doing it seeming. So I, I'll... So that's kind of my mixed feelings about it, but I'm curious, like what, 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 what's the value that you have found in it, and how is it? What does that look like for you? Yeah, I, 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 I totally get the like pious kind of. Oh well, I fasted today and prayed forty two times, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and and I, I would say I probably react strongly to the 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 canned version of the spiritual disciplines that sometimes you can encounter in churches and stuff. Um, for me, it's, it's, it is this, um, it's what I've discovered, which is if I am getting up in the morning, drinking coffee and then going, Oh crud, I got to go answer email, picking up my smartphone, answering email, um, grabbing a quick breakfast, shooting off to work, um, you know, working hard all day, coming home, spend time with kids and then, okay, it's the end of the day. Let me, let me try and be, you know, spiritual <laughs> or something that, that, that pace. And if, if I haven't put some type of rhythm that leaves space for it and, and space for me to connect with God or even to connect with myself, although <laughs> even that far, 
that it's not going to happen. So it's, it's, um, so I, I, I don't know. I'd put it in a little bit different context than, than the typical, like here, here's the five easy steps to go connect with God, do ABCD, right? Um, it, it's more of a practice of, of living really. So a sense of intentionality or, um, is it like a structure, like a kind of a built-in structure that gives you extra white space or like, well, <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what has been most effective for me. And, um, you know, the, the most effective thing f- for me has been, I don't know if it's officially a spiritual discipline or whatever, whatever nomenclature you put on it, but <clears throat> the Jesuit exercise of examine. And, and I know, John, we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. But it's it's basically just um, either starting or finishing the day and saying, okay, what is stuff that was, the words are consolation versus desolation. And that's supposed to equate with consolation is when you feel connected with God, desolation is disconnected from God, and it goes you know, way back to the foundation of the Jesuits. Um, and um, I, I think he, I'm trying to remember <laughs> who the priest was. So uh, totally escapes me right now. It's a Friday. But he was, he was a knight very focused on like, I'm going to go battle and win some lady's hand. And he got hurt where he couldn't do that. And so he was stuck in a bed and he was, you know, noticing that, when he reflected a lot on, hey, there's this woman that I that I really want to marry, and and we're going to have this this castle and all this stuff. That after he spent a lot of time dwelling on that, he felt like a sense of emptiness afterwards. But when he started reflecting on the cross and what God had done, he felt this this sense of of wholeness. And so that was kind of really the the foundation of this kind of, I'll call it a discipline. So it's, it's a reflection exercise, which I think is trying to connect your daily experience with, you know, you know, what is happening to me and what is happening in, in my heart. I applied this actually in a business context, uh, like probably a year ago when I was like having a hard time at work and I'm like, ah, I just feel angry at work. And like, how do I deal with this? And I started like after every meeting I had going, okay, how do I feel after this meeting? Am I energized I love or, that. De- or de-energized? Like did this, this meeting suck me dry or did it pump me up or is it kind of neutral? And what I found is there were particular individuals who I met with and I would come out of that drained, like, like going into those individuals and having meetings with them. It was like going into combat and I was gearing up and I was like guarding, protecting and like trying to defend and fight back. And, and so I started just cutting out a lot of those meetings <laughs> it, as a practice to, to save energy but when I got home with my family, who I do want to invest in and have long established relationships with my, my children and pour into their lives. And I don't want to waste my energy on, you know, <laughs> broken people at work or having the same conversation over and over again and, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm. Now, how does that connect, though, Charlie, in terms of, of you and God? Like, I hear that with you and the family, you and mm-hmm. yourself. Is it just more energy in general and therefore you can put the, you know, not, not just for the family, but in terms of you no, and no. God or is there something more than that? The, the examine exercise is reviewing the, the past 24 hours and saying, okay, in the past 24 hours, 
where did I feel a sense of God moving and I feel more connected to God? That's kind of the consolation. And where do I feel a sense of, I, I don't feel that. I feel isolated. Um, and, and reflecting on what are those activities and what are those things that I'm thinking about and, and, you know, what happens in that process for me, you know, sometimes that gets, you know, kind of overlapped and commingled with things that make me happy or sad or are mm -hmm. energizing or de-energizing. Right. So sometimes it becomes a blended process. Um, but what I do know is that if I don't take the time to do that, that you, you lose to your point, Greg, that self-knowledge, right? Mm. Um, yeah, so I think it's, it's looking at myself and trying to listen to my heart and saying, hey, is God stirring in my heart in something that happened today or in the past 24 hours? So what about, what about you, Greg or John? You know, do you guys have an exercise that looks like that, that, you know, kind of helps in a sense of connection to God or is it, that doesn't resonate at all. I would say, I don't know. <laughs> I would say, I would say, maybe I've mentioned this before. So there's a book out there called The Morning Miracle by Hal Elrod. Not, oh, yes. <laughs> it's not a Christian book, but I highly recommend it. So I do on a typical, to, to your kind of reflection on days that go better than days that don't, yes, definitely. I'm finding in the last last year or two for sure, starting off the day with silence. I usually make a cup of coffee or go for a walk, and then I have a little rocking chair in my office, and I'll just sit in it, sometimes doing nothing. Recently, I've picked up some, I think, through just conversations with Greg, but on my iPad, a lot of times I'll open, I'll just be sitting there, and I'll just open the Bible application. Why, I don't know some days. Recently, I've been, re uh, before I mentioned I was reading Job, and but recently I've been reading Hebrews in the message and finding it really fascinating. Now, I will read it and I will get some ideas and some like, oh, that's interesting, but I don't know that I leave, well, one, it's a mystery to me why I keep coming back to it. Like, I is that divine? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just feel compelled to just kind of, read there so i do but i only kind of read until i find that i'm no longer interested or my mind is drifting or i can't focus and i'm just like okay well i guess that was but i don't leave that experience saying wow i feel connected to god now and now i'll feel connected to him the rest of the day so i would i would say i have kind of these daily practices of silence and reflection uh meditation if i make it if i like plan it in a little bit better and I'm intentional about it. And I find those things kind of keep my head clear and help me stay centered. But I don't, I don't find that like these activities per se make me then feel connected to God. And I feel like that's, I think that's one of the reasons I want to have you on is I kind of wanted to sort out like in some of the conversations I have with Greg, sometimes I'm starting to come to the conclusion, maybe my expectations of what this connection looks like is they're not accurate or they don't fit reality. Hmm. So I think I took that in like seven different directions. So hit me back with something else or, <laughs> <laughs> or keep it going. So let me just get, I'll respond to that and you can hop in Greg later. Um, sure. So I, I, I have actually almost 
always read the message now. It just, the, the language seems to resonate with me. And believe it or not, other translations that were used so much as a kid, it, it's hard for me to hear them without hearing echoes of my past. NASB. <laughs> Yeah, yes. well, the in church would be in, in the King James. <laughs> the, yeah, that's right. Well, no, it's so funny. This is some. Yeah, Charlie and I went to the same. Charlie was a year ahead of me, and we were at the same private Christian junior high school. Oh, really? So we overlapped school for one year, and they used the King James. I can't remember why, but it was like <laughs> I think me. that was the one true <laughs> translation or something. But then the church we went Ooh. to used the NASB because it was quote you know the most literal translation and you know kind of the the safest one to be using was that's mm-hmm. what I recall of it with maybe a little cynicism mixed in so continue. <laughs> but, but, but the language like that it becomes so loaded that those like it sometimes mm. all I can hear when I hear some of the language is echoes of my past versus what it's actually in there and something God may be trying to tell me. Mm. So, so I've, I've shifted to the message, which is it feels new and fresh and contemporary. And I hear like when I read it, it different things, pop out because it's written very differently. Um, and, and so um, on, I guess on reading the Bible, I've been approaching most recently with, with a very different angle because my wife and I got into minimalism, which is just kind of getting rid of stuff to live a better life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I said, Hey, you know, it'd be kind of fun to go read the new Testament and say, you know, what would Jesus say is, you know, Christian minimalism or what is essential? And, and it, it, it's just been a fun and interesting lens for me to go through and say, if, if you know, God, I think God's a minimalist because, you know, I am. So, <laughs> so there you what, go. what would he say is essential? And, you know, it's just, it's been a different lens to pick out different things. So, mm. so anyway, I resonate mm. with the kind of reading the message. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because I, as you were, as you were talking Charlie, and you, as you were talking, John, I thought, I don't, I don't do anything. <laughs> and then I realized, well, no, that's not exactly true. I mean, my, You're my, always my, thinking. Well, yeah, but it's it, in terms of uh, specific practices. I mean, the practices mm. I do are more designed, I guess, to keep me as attuned as possible to the world around me without necessarily having any particular, you know, focus on God. So, you know, I'm always talking to my kids about, you know, eat well, sleep well, exercise well, play well. You know, and I do those things to various different degrees, but you know, I do those things successfully to various different degrees. But, um, you know, those are the things that I really want. I, I think that's what human life is composed of. That's, that's, these are some of the essentials I have to do. Once, once I start dropping some of these things, once I start getting out of balance, I can't make proper decisions and I can't relate properly with myself, with others, you know, and clearly with God. And so I guess mine is more of a sort of a waiting stance. Um, I'm waiting. Uh, I'm acting. But the waiting, I guess, is, is this sense of waiting openness. You know, I'm, I'm open to seeing, you know, uh, I'm still struggling with the words because I don't think that's quite accurate, but there's a sense in which it is. Um, it's not quite accurate because, I mean, typically I'm spending a lot of time, you know, most of my spare time is spent uh, 
something will get thrown up someplace on Facebook or John will throw things up. John's always throwing stuff up. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is an interesting idea. I've got to go, you know, comb through. Let's take a look. Let's look through the Bible. Let's look through. I've got Accordance, which is a, uh, it's like a skull. It's like the Bible in a database, but, but it's got a whole bunch of extra stuff involved in there, a whole bunch of language stuff and dictionaries, lexicons, uh, comparisons, uh, you know, so I'm constantly doing that stuff. And I guess, and, and then, you know, commentaries and other things. So I'm really kind of very frequently digging in to the text and also trying to dig into myself and also trying to be just kind of in a space of health so that these exercises of digging in and responding to or kind of engaging with can be done with the greatest chance that, yeah, I think the outcomes will be better as opposed to worse. So I guess that's where, that's where I stand. And then in terms of, you know, engaging with God, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I still remember how powerfully some of these, uh, you know, we were talking with uh, a fellow not too long ago and he was recounting his story with his family and um, he's left church. He's a Christian guy. Uh, and, and I had a conversation, a phone conversation quite lengthy with him. And one of the things he said to me was, it's not that my parents don't love me. It's just they love church more. Immediately, immediately I thought of this, these passages. There's, there's one in, in Matthew and an even stronger one in Luke. You know, whoever, I, I'm reading from the NRSV. I've just got it here in front of me. It's, it's Luke 14 and it's, uh, just a couple of verses, 26, 27, I mean, uh, it would bear to read more to give context, but just to give the, the punch of it, the hit, if you like. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And I think one of the, if we're talking about proximity and we're talking about awareness and understanding, then I would say that the greatest amount of my awareness and understanding comes through the tension between hearing something like this person said, experiencing that, and the incredible dissonance that that throws up for me. This idea that you can love your kids and love God more. And in this case, I mean, as, as, I, as I said to him, I, 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 I think that the effect of him being loved in second place was not being loved well. And maybe in some ways not being loved, love is not the right word. So, I mean, that's a pretty, it's pretty powerful and maybe powerfully negative situation. But the conjunction, I guess, between having that emotional situation, that visceral and experiential response, and then going in and digging in and looking through this text and realizing, holy smokes, we've been reading this wrong. You know, pulling off some of the, uh, I pulled a couple of, I've got a, a big commentary on Luke and I, I managed to get on Google Books, another, Daryl Box got a fantastic one. So probably two of the guys who are doing the most work on Luke that I could see and pulling them together and beginning reading and reading and reading and just reading this thing like these, I don't know, from 13 through to 15, reading these three chapters over and over and over and over and going over this stuff and realizing that's not who God is. That's not how that works. That's not what this means. And so I guess that point of connection is always within the context of a certain clash of 
possibilities where on the one hand we have this way of reading the Bible that I think, I mean, you talked about, um, Charlie, about Protestantism, Protestantism leaving behind the past and neglecting some of the, some of the old ways of being and seeing. And I think that there are some other, you know, flaws in terms of neglecting that we've taken up where we just, when we read, we, context is next to irrelevant. I mean, I read those two verses, I know exactly what they mean, right? So there you go, close the Bible, you're done. Well, no, you don't. That's not how it works. That's not how these books were written. That's, that's not the purpose. That's not the way they're put together and the, the logic and the precision of them. And so, yeah, I, I suppose a lot of that is in wrestling some of this stuff out so that God, in other words, becomes real in the sense that God connects with the situations at hand in a way that makes sense of them and makes more sense of them than simply, on the one hand, not connecting with God alone, or on the other hand, going in and saying, I'm going to read two verses, and that's how, how it makes sense. And so, yeah, I don't know how to, I don't know, like maybe I'm not even, maybe I'm not even answering your question. Maybe I'm not even talking about the same sort of thing, but that's the only way that connection happens for me. So there was a lot of stuff in there, but one, mm. one theme that, well, this is my theme that I'm applying to what you just said and, and see if it fits. One word integration. So in reading the Bible, I heard integrating the context, which is where does this fit into the context of the book, the chapter, the time period, etc. And then the other integration point that's been really important for me is integrating this, let's call it spiritual concept into my family life with my kids or into my work life or into other contexts. You know, so it's the it's the integration, and, and I think that's why the examine is helpful for me because I'm thinking about things that happened in my life. It's not this, you know, separated like okay, let me dwell on something completely disconnected from my life, but it's it's integrated in with what I do. So I don't know how does how does that fit with what what you described? Yeah, I think that's pretty good. I, th I think the, the the chief point of integration is between our experience and our understanding. So I would say for me, putting it in these terms, between having a certain understanding about who God is and, the, and allowing that to play out and allowing that to have a certain uh, effect, you know, in terms of how I act with people, how I view the world, et cetera. And then allowing my experiences of certain situations. So somebody comes to me and they tell me this story, you know, this very very overtly Christian story. I mean, it's a, it's a story about somebody leaving the church who's part of a very Christian family who that entire family was part of that church. And, and yet the story smacks of understandings of, of God that, yeah, if I come without an integrated, I would say without a, without, without the right context. Right. So yeah, I think there's, there's integration, but there's a bunch of pieces in there that, um, yeah, I, I think there's some skill sets that, Without having those in our back pockets or maybe right ready with us, the notion of integration wouldn't work. So I'm not sure I understand. You said integrating experience, our experiences, personal experiences, with our understanding of God. Yeah, and our understandings generally. Yeah, exactly. So typically, when you know, when you read the Bible, the Bible. I think a lot of Christians come to the Bible with, you know, John and I've talked about this a lot, with this idea that I mean, I've got everything I need to know in this book. And I read the Bible, I understand about God, I understand about people, and I live that out into the world. 
but they would never take, for instance, the other side of the equation, which is the world is teaching me what it is to be alive, to be a human being. I can live in a way that uh, goes well and that I, I kind of get feedback on that. You know, I, I, I'm doing well. My relationships are thriving. I'm physically doing okay. Or I can live in a way that's, you know, that's uh, questionable, that's problematic. And the, I think that, that feedback whether it's how I live or how do I engage with others, how I engage with God, it's probably all of those things, right? That feedback helps me when I come to something like this, like a passage like this to say, well, I've got four or five different interpretations, but that feedback saying two or three of those just don't work. And I think that's one of the keys that I keep advocating and that um, connecting with God is a lot about living out that integration in the most um, robust way I can. How much more sense does that make? Yeah, I I, I guess the the thing that, the thing that pops into my head is, is, you know, very liberty conversation. If, if, you know, if God exists and he's, and he's a God of love and all this, then, then why do bad things happen? Right, the very classic Libri conversation. If if God is all powerful and He's love, why in the world did the thing in Paris happen, where the terrorists, you know, shot all those people and the horrific stories of what happened? Mm-hmm. Like, I think grappling with okay, so I have an understanding of God, but then I experience evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think it creates this dissonance of like, wait a minute. I, so I'm I'm. So let me let me talk. I'm, I'm You're talking agreeing, out. but not sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking through this because he was saying, okay, it's integrating those two, and I'm like, what if you can't integrate them? Oh, I what, like that. Yeah. You know, what, mm-hmm. what if you can't integrate? Like God is love, but you know, I'll, I'll I'll pretend I'm the father of that woman whose story I heard last night. My daughter just got pulled mm-hmm. into prostitution and was basically trapped in sex trafficking for six years was mm-hmm. being, you know, all sorts of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Like, God, how could you let this happen? You know, th- yeah, well, so, so like trying to integrate those things and going like, I, I don't like if connecting with God is dependent upon me integrating that, what if I can't? <laughs> well, I think, I think though that, that Charlie, you've, you've got the right point. In other words, I think that's where the conversation starts. I don't think it ends there, but I think that's where it starts. And until we get to that point, we're, I mean, I hope this doesn't sound really too negative. I think we're playing around. We, we, we may not be intentionally doing so. Because we. we. Anyone who's having this type of conversation and trying to think about this idea of integration, the place where we really come to blast brass tacks is at the problem of evil, right? And sometimes we don't get there right away because it's too hard. We want to face some easier stuff first. We want to get some wins under our belt, understandable. Or we don't get there because we're not mature enough. I don't know. We're 19. We're 18. We're too idealistic. But I think eventually, I mean, I guess what I'm looking to do is in the place where you're raising a red flag or saying this is problematic, I would say actually there's, there's some – I would even go so strong as to use the word victory there. But I don't mean it in a typical Christian sense. What I mean is, voila, that's the place to start. Yes, and I think we often fail as Christians because we just don't even get there. Or we refuse to allow the play of possibilities that having more than one answer to that question could permit. And we get scared. 
and we say, oh, well, you know, this means some bad things. I've just got to back off out of this. And I think, no, I don't think that's right. I think that, you know, ultimately, I guess my answer would be, we, you will solve it. We all have solved it. Every single one of us, whether we know how we've solved it or whether we like the solution we've got, those are the questions. And if we answer that we don't know what we've got in terms of a solution or we don't like the answer, if we do know what we've got, then I think we've got some digging to do, you know. And if we do like our answer, well, I think we've got some sharing to do. So I think this is the place where the conversation starts. Once it gets really authentic, we're there. And this is the place where our humanities meet, where we can uh, have this conversation that can spread across many different religious perspectives. And I'm not saying that they're all, you know, as right as any other, or that a non-religious perspective is just as right. But I think that they're all just as viable as, as any other, right? I don't have any outside knowledge that tells me that Christianity is the true thing to do. And, you know, everybody else is just off base. I believe that in a certain way. I wouldn't say it that way. I believe it's true and I believe I'm making the best choice I can, that I believe. But I think that once you get to the place, it's disheartening to say, yes, what happens if I can't integrate this? But I think it's incredibly heartening. If you agree with me, and I don't know, you might, you might find some place that's more dangerous and more deeply, viscerally connecting with our, our human state when it comes to you know, the things we can't solve or the things that, that really shake us to our, our, our roots. But I don't find anything more so than um, pain and evil. And so, so that's what, where I want to start. So what you're saying is that the process of facing those things, even if you can't answer them, is integration itself. Not so much. I'm saying that that is the place where integration really, really starts, where we really get to it. You know, we can practice on the way up and we can get some wins under our belt with dealing with other situations, you know, interpersonal, but they all kind of eventually, when you get to the far end of the spectrum, in any typical situation, you're getting into the problem of evil. And I do think that people have got that problem resolved. People, everybody does. That's Whether fascinating. Whether you're never aware of it. it. Or whether you, 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 if somebody pushed you, you know, if we, if we, <laughs> we, we had the video on a little while ago and saw Charlie and Billy, he looked like he was in a, <laughs> being, a, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say a, what, what, a, a dark room and Charlie had the spotlight on him. If we, if we really kind of magnified that spotlight on him and really pushed him or pushed any one of us that I think we would potentially give an answer, whether we'd be satisfied with the answer we gave I don't know about that, but I guess I'm saying that that's where the conversation starts. And so that if we are not going in that direction, we will miss the mark inevitably, whether we're Christians or anybody. That's my view. So I, I, I'm partially in agreement and partially and strongly in disagreement. So <laughs> bring it out. <laughs> so I, I do think that dealing with the problem of evil is fundamental. I think mm. that is a deep and rich conversation. I think when I was at Labrie, that like trying to grapple with that is is what eventually led me to say Christianity has the best answer. Mm -hmm. Like like how do you explain such good and such evil at the same time? And mm. when you look at the other religions, they they struggle to explain that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, you struggle to ex explain that dichotomy. So 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 I I agree with that that that's an important question. I strongly disagree with the fact that people have it worked out. I think that most people ignore that entirely. And I think most people are anesthetizing themselves with entertainment, with busyness at work, 
with lots and lots, myself included. But that's mm. how they've worked. But but that's, I would say that's an answer. But uh, yeah, I'm interpreting that as the way that they've worked it out as they've worked it out by avoiding it. By ignoring it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. No? I think that's the answer of there is no answer. That's an answer. There is no answer. Or this isn't important. Or I'm what counts. These are all answers. We all have an answer. It's just that, you know, whether the answer is directly to the question or whether the answer allows us to circumvent the question, you know, as though we could, but sure, right? You can go and just kind of entertain yourself and amuse yourself. And if you have the resources, God knows you could, you could just keep going at that, right? So I, I don't think people are consciously thinking about that unless it's a painful thing to think about. So I think mm -hmm. most people avoid that conversation unless you have some internal personality profile that just drives you to get answers. I, 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 because I can tell you most of the people I interact with, we don't talk about this stuff. No, of course not. People are completely engaged and absorbed with, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Hey, what's the next deadline at work? Hey, isn't so-and-so so annoying? Um, yeah. And people are not grappling with like, like you know, issues of evil that exist right. in the world today because I think and, – and, and I'll speak from kind of a North America perspective here, which is you know, we live very padded, cush, cushy lives. You know, um, yeah. and so I think it's very easy to say, Hey, what's, what's, you know, what's, what's on cable today? Or mm. can I go pull up something on Netflix or can, you know, you can amuse yourself for hours with nothing. Yeah. So I, so yeah. I think it's, it is a healthy conversation. I, I don't think people have really invested any time. And I, and I don't think saying that just because I'm amusing myself means I've really integrated or resolved that in any way. I think it's, it's completely diversionary. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't think that that resolution needs to be conscious. I think for most people, it isn't conscious, you know, and I think if it gets, if, if, if that kind of diversionary situation comes to the surface and they become aware of that, that's when they start having inner conflict and that can resolve itself in a number of ways, you know, positively or quite negatively. So no, I'm not, I'm not suggesting in any sense that people have done the work. I think most people haven't, but I think that there, nevertheless, there's a resolution that they sit with. You know, I was talking with some guys at the gym and I don't think they've done too much thinking about this, but we were talking about Syria and they had some answers. They all had answers, you know, and it was interesting to me that they had answers all the way down the line. I'm like, man, how is this? Is everybody thinking about this? I mean, I put in a lot of time recently on this. No. But when I was calling them, when I was kind of pushing them a little bit, they all had answers. Now, I don't know how far you'd have to push somebody to get answers about this, right? Or where they'd go, or if those answers would be consistent. I think, but I don't think that takes away from, I guess what I'm saying is there's kind of, um, I don't think there's any neutrality towards the, if you like, the vicissitudes of our existence, which means when the things that we know of, nobody's in the dark in our world about the fact that these evil things happen. Nobody's in the dark in North America if you're an adult and if you've got your faculties with you in a you know, greater, lesser sense, in a general sense, um, that this could be you, but it's not. And so I think by virtue of being conscious beings living in the world, aware of some of these other things, you know, I might not give the same answer, let's say, if we were in the 17th century 
if we were in a very, very sheltered place and everyone was very well off or we all were very well off and the three of us were talking about this, you know, and I'd come back from a foreign country and you two had never gone. I, I don't know that I would take this approach, but I don't think within our society that there's a possibility for people to remain ignorant. And so at one level or another, you know, you could call it dissonance and say people live with dissonance. And I would say, yeah, but there's a certain resolved sense of that dissonance, a certain resolution relative to that. And so I hear what you're saying, Charlie, maybe the word integration would not apply there, but I think maybe there are certain proxies or facsimiles for integration that allow us to, yeah, be close enough, be close enough that we can say, yeah, it's not bothering me. You know, in the sense that if it weren't integrated, it was, it would rather, right? So that, that's kind of where I'm getting at. I, I hear what you're saying, and I don't know if it's, if that, if that, that helps clarify, but no, I, I'm certainly not pushing on the idea that people have spent time thinking about it or, or kind of got to the bottom of it and, and thrown up their hands or, you know, I think most of us haven't gone anywhere near it because it's just this awful, awful thing. So to round this out, what, if there were one or two questions that we would want to throw out to people listening that we might want them to respond to on this episode, what would they be? In reference to what we've talked about or? Yeah. In like, other words, if what, 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 like what kind of feedback might we want to ask people to respond with on this episode? Do they agree with these, this topic, this discussion? Like what, or what's something to think about? You know, I, I kind of go all the way back to where we started, which is this, this concept of story and we learn through story and, and, what stories are people gravitating towards, like are, are seeking, right? So, so if I can, like, if I can pick up a book and read something, you know, what is it that 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 grabs me? What is it that? Well, I would say, maybe in a deeper sense, what changes me? What are the stories that change us? You know, um, that would be mine. Mm. What do you think, John? I don't yeah, maybe I would throw out the same well, the same question that that Charlie was kind of agreeing and disagreeing with you on. Maybe I'd throw that out to listeners. You know, do 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 other people think do people think that other people are thinking about evil and really grappling with that, or have they are they avoiding it or what what's what do they think about that? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a very clear question. It's about as much as I got. <laughs> no, that's good. Well, yeah, I guess I guess it's interesting to me. I'm I'm kind of uh, assessing where I, kind of my frame of mind right now, and I think part of the question that's forming for me, or maybe it's a doubt, and and I'll throw it out as a question. I mean, can we as people? engage with Christianity in maybe I'll go so far as to say this um, in the way that we may best relate with ourselves and with God if we have not engaged with the issue of the problem of evil can we do that that's what I wonder I almost answered, but that would keep them going. <laughs> I was, I was nobody I, else would answer. They'd be like, oh, I got my answer. <laughs> <laughs> Me. 
Nice. All right, let's, should we leave it there? Yeah, thank you so much, Charlie. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. Notes and links for this episode are at untanglingchristianity.com. We welcome your thoughts and comments both at the website and our private Facebook group. If you'd like to join the private Facebook group, let us know your email address in the sidebar of the website to receive notes and links for each episode, and we'll send you an invite to our private group. Or you can send your thoughts or requests to join the group by email. Send those emails to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.